If you would take your Bibles to John chapter 6, we've been going through the Gospel of John and we've seen several of the uh, miracles that uh, Jesus has performed. The disciples have had the opportunity to spend time with Christ and to see him work. They've been able to sit at his feet and learn from him. His ministry is now public, and the multitudes are following him wherever he goes. We see him on one side of the sea, and, and there are the multitudes. And he goes to the other side of the sea, and the multitudes do everything they can to get to Christ, and they, they follow him. They're not following him because he is the Messiah, because he is the Christ, but because he has healed people, he has fed them, and Jesus even tells them this. You are, you are only coming after me because your stomachs or your, your bellies are, are filled. In this passage in John chapter 6, Jesus gives this great sermon when he says and makes the statement, I am the bread of life. The sermon started in verse 32 when Jesus said, verily, verily, or truly, truly. And really when Christ says that, he's using that for emphasis. And we should stop and, and pay attention to what Christ really is saying at any point, but particularly when he uses these words. As he is speaking to the people, there are going to be those that become upset with him because he makes the first of his I am statements. And know that when he makes these I am statements, he is equating himself with God. Now he's talking to Jewish people and he's telling them that he has come down from heaven and they must eat his flesh and drink his blood in order to have eternal life. Only through me can you have eternal life. And to them, Jesus is claiming to be God and stating that he alone can provide salvation. This upset these Jewish people, and the Bible tells us in verse 41, they begin to murmur amongst themselves. They begin to grumble amongst themselves. We live in a world, in a day and age, where people struggle. They struggle with hard things. We've raised children and generations that they cannot handle being quote-unquote, attacked or challenged in the things that they believe or, or how they live their lives. They, they form their opinion on a topic or a subject, and, and therefore they are right and everyone else is wrong. There is a myriad of topics that we see where this happens. We find our so-called experts that, that we follow and, and they are right, and therefore everyone else is wrong, and there can be no debate, no discussion or conversation without anger and contempt against the person or their views. Many hold these views and they believe because of their position, they're spiritually mature. But I would argue with the mindset and the attitude that so many approach these topics, they're actually spiritually immature. We see this truth in the book of 1 Corinthians. There was so much disunity and fighting in the church of Corinth. Why? Because I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos. I have different opinions than you and I'm right and, and therefore you are wrong. And what happens is we act like little children. You know, there are topics that have been debated for hundreds of years, and I know there are people that are smarter than I am on both sides of the issue. There are people that, that are smarter than me that stand where I stand, but there are also people that stand on the other side, uh, they stand on the other side of, of these issues. I learned a long time ago 
in my own life that there are things in Scripture that I do not fully understand. And that I might not ever fully understand on this side of eternity. One such topic is the issue of the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. How does this work together? Yeah, I have my viewpoints, and I have my opinions, and I have the, where I stand on, on these issues, and I'm going to preach them and, and relate them from Scripture and how it works. And, and listen, there's going to be another pastor and another preacher and, and, and others, theologians, that are going to come along, and they're going to do the same thing with the, the opposite viewpoint on these very issues. And it's amazing how angry and even hateful we become over this topic. And this passage here in, in John chapter 6 has been at the center of this debate. You can Google John 6 and find articles. You can find sermons. You can find blogs that say this does not teach the tenets of Calvinism. And you can find the same thing and probably the same number of articles, blogs, and, and, and sermons that say that this does teach the tenets of Calvinism. Now, in our world, people say, you're either a Calvinist or an Arminian. Can I tell you today, I, I claim neither of those labels, personally. I will fall in neither of those camps. The reality is there are many people that don't even know what those terms mean and all that comes with them. But here's what I know, that man is sinful and our sin has separated us from God. I know that God sent Jesus Christ who died for the sins of the world. And anyone that believes that Christ is the Son of God, that he died and receives him by faith, will have eternal life. In our passage here in John chapter 6, Christ uses repetition to make his point to these people. They saw one thing, but they did not understand what he was trying to teach them. They were missing the truth. And today, as we come to John chapter 6, once again, we want to look at this statement, I am the bread of life. And there are two important points, important, excuse me, points in this passage. Number one, today we'll see the provision of salvation. And number two, we'll see the appropriation of salvation. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you that by grace we are saved through faith. Lord, we thank you for the work that you're going to do in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Number one, I want us to look at, from John chapter 6, the provision of our salvation. There's really three major truths under this provision that I want to point out. And, and this is the sad truth when we get into this argument and debate a lot of times in life, is we miss the reality or the truth that God is trying to show us. We come to a passage with our viewpoint, and we miss what God wants us to understand. The first thing we need to understand here is about Jesus Christ himself and the fact that he is pre-existent. We see that in the statement or the phrase that he came down from heaven. Look back with me at verse 32. The Bible says, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. Verse 33, For the bread of God which he, or is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life 
unto the world. Jump down to verse 38. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Verse 41. The Jews then murmured at him. Why? Why were they upset? Because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Go to verse 46. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father, speaking about himself. Verse number 50, this is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. Verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If you look over at verse 58, this is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. The point that Jesus is trying to make to them is, is that he was not created when he was born as a baby in Bethlehem or when he was conceived in Mary's womb, but he was pre-existent and co-existent with God. Jesus is God in the flesh. This points to the incarnation of Christ. Jesus tells Nicodemus that no one, uh, no one has went to heaven and come back except that one that descended from heaven, the Son of Man, which is Jesus. In John chapter 8, verse 42, Jesus says that he proceeded from God. In John chapter 13, he tells us that he came from God and will return there. And then he says the same thing at the end of John 16 and at the beginning of of John 17. I came from God and I will be going back to heaven. We see the pre-existence of God. You see, God provided salvation through his son, the one that is co-eternal, co-existent with God. Then we see also in this passage, Jesus' purpose. Jesus' purpose or the purpose in this provision. His purpose in coming the purpose, why did God send his son? Look at verse 32. The Bible says, as Jesus says there, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you that bread from heaven, but my father, my father is the one that sent me. My father giveth you the true bread from heaven. He is called the bread of God in verse number 33. And look at verse 38. The Bible says he came to do the will of the Father, uh, when he tells us, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son, believeth on him, may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. You keep going on. The Father sent, him, sent me, he says in verse number 57. God's purpose in sending Jesus Christ was to reconcile then people back to him. Jesus came to save the lost. In verse number 37, the Bible says the Father gives people to the Lord. In verse number 44, the Bible says no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And he says in verse 45, then everyone who has heard and learned from God, he gives to the Son. And he will keep them and he will raise them up again at the last day. This is the plan that will be completed in Christ. The Father draws, the Father gives, the son receives and the son keeps. 
And here's the sticking point in this passage, and where we find so much contention in, in the church and in our world today over this issue. No one comes to God unless the Father draws him. I believe that statement. I believe that no one comes to God unless the Father draws him. This is the truth of Scripture, and no one can deny this truth. The question comes, then, who does God draw? Some believe, as they read this passage, that it's only the elect, only those that will be saved that God, that God draws. Others believe, based on passages like John chapter 12, when Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Some believe that God draws all men. Just to be very clear, this is where I would fall. And this is what I would, would believe. No one can come to God unless the Father draws him. But God will draw all men. And so how does God draw us? How does God do this drawing? Verse number 45, don't miss this point. It is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned, learned of the Father cometh unto me. In verse 45, John quotes the book of Isaiah when he says that they shall all be taught of God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I hope that you'll take some time to read that. Paul contrasts those that are saved and those that are damned. And he says it's based on whether or not they believe, believe what? They believe the truth. My friend, people don't come to God by human reason. People don't come to God in their own power and ability. They must be drawn. And how does God draw them? He uses his word. That's why it's so important that as Christians we pray and we walk in the Spirit and we preach the Word of God. Because you see, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to draw them. How were you drawn to God if you've accepted Christ as your Savior? Somebody taught you, shared with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. You did not wake up one day by osmosis and say, listen, I believe there's a God and I believe there's a Jesus and he died on the cross for my sin. No, that message was taught to you and God used it in your heart and in your life. So we see that Jesus was preexistent. We see his purpose was to come to die for the sins of the world and to reconcile man back to God. And God does that when we preach and teach his word, and people are drawn, and they receive Jesus Christ. And here then, finally, we see in this provision God's promise. What is God's promise? And, and, and see, the, the second point there, the point that I just mentioned, is kind of where we get lost in the argument. Well, if you don't believe where I believe on this issue of drawing, then listen, we're, we're stuck and we can't continue the conversation and we miss the promise and the reality of God. Look with me if you would. Verse 33. From the, for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven, notice this, and giveth life unto the world. The promise is that God will give life, give spiritual life. And this promise then is connected, we see all throughout this passage, to the bread of life as it is spiritual bread. My friend, the promise is that life only comes through Jesus Christ. Life only comes through Jesus Christ. And this life has been provided for the world by God. So then it brings us to our second point. 
we see the provision. Salvation has been provided to us by God. No man comes unto the Father but by me, Jesus has told us. Nobody comes unless he is drawn by the Father. You might be sitting here today saying, listen, I know the gospel, and God's working in your heart and life. Say, you know what, I want to put it off for another day. Listen, don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. If God is drawing you today, today is the day of salvation. And then we see the appropriation. The question is, is what is our responsibility, or does man even have a responsibility. And I want to submit to you throughout this passage, God shares with us man's responsibility in this. Now, we don't like that word. Man does nothing of his own salvation, and we don't want to add works to our salvation, and so we have to figure out how this all works, and so we try to avoid to use that, avoid using that word. But the truth is, as we read this passage, we see what God, God himself tells us in this area of appropriation of salvation. We see our responsibility. Number one, we must come. Verse 37. In verse 37, the Bible tells us, all that the Father giveth me, notice there, shall come to me. Now many will come to Christ for physical bread. Many have been following him for physical bread. And many in our world go to church for the material blessings of, of church and religion and all that comes along with that. Many people are coming to religion and they're coming to church, but they're not coming to Jesus, the Messiah. Many were in that day coming to Jesus as the man, Jesus as a provider of material things. But what Christ is talking about is you're coming to me spiritually. You understand who I am. You understand what I can ultimately provide. Well, how do you know that's what he's talking about? Then number two, we must look. We must look. Look at verse number 40. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth, notice there, seeth what? Seeth the Son. Not, not sees Jesus. What has he been telling them throughout this passage? I have come from God. I am his Father. What has upset these people? The Jesus says, I am the Son of God. I have come down and descended from heaven. And they're saying, wait a minute. We've seen you grow up. We, we know who your mother and your father are. How are you saying that you now are the Son of God? And this is where they were blinded and they did not understand. Jesus says, don't just see me as, as, uh, as a man, but you need to understand and see me as the son. And so those that, that come, they, they, they come spiritually with a spiritual agenda, a spiritual need, and they see him as the one who can take care of this spiritual need as the son of God. And then he says, number three, probably the most pivotal, pivotal point of this whole topic you need to come, you need to see or look, and then you must believe. You must believe. You need to come, you need to see me as the Son of God, and you must believe. Look at verse 35. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me, comes to me, shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me, believeth, shall never thirst. Look at verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth me as the Son and understands who I am and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Look at verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting 
everlasting life. John chapter 20 in the theme verses. John says, I'm writing these things. I'm showing you these miracles so that you could see and understand who believe who Jesus is. So that you can see him as the son of God and that you can see him and understanding believe on Jesus Christ. John chapter 3 verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. It's not enough just to see and, and to listen, but you must receive Christ through your belief, through your faith, through your trust. Believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that he died for your sin. We must believe. We must believe that he is the Son. We also see in this passage, we must believe that he came to give life. Verse 51, we're not going to take time to read it. Verse 53, 54, these verses we've already read. Over and over it talks about that we must believe to get life. This is a metaphor that he's using to help us and to help them understand. They wanted a Messiah that would be a great leader in human history, that would give them freedom and provision here in this life. They could not or would not accept that their Messiah was going to die. God has provided salvation through his pre-incarnate, his pre-existent son. Jesus Christ came born of a virgin and lived a sinless life. And ultimately, he went to the cross for your sin and for my sin, for the sins of the whole world. And through Christ, God has provided salvation. And throughout history and even today, God, through the preaching and teaching of his word, draws men to himself. He offers the free gift of salvation. And when God draws us and we come to the place in our life where we see him for who he is and we believe that he is the Christ, that he died for our sin and we put our faith and trust in him and his work on the cross, God will gloriously save us from our sin. We must come to Christ and see him as the son of God. I, I don't know what, what you're trusting in here today, what you're, what you're resting in here today. Is it your good works? Is it your faithfulness? Is it being a moral person? None of those things will give you eternal life. Listen, the Pharisees were uh, quote-unquote moral people in their day. They were the, the religious leaders of their day, and, and yet we see that they were lost in their sin, separated from God. They were as religious as religious could be, yet without Christ, yet without eternal life. Many of them that followed Christ were healed physically, provided for with nourishment and food, yet they never saw him for who he was and for who he is. They never accepted him as their savior. You know, the Bible tells us that there will be a time in history, for, in the future, when people will stand before God and he'll say, depart from me for." You never knew me. And they'll say, well, wait a minute. We did all of this in your name. We cast out devils and we did all these great things in your name. And you know, there might be some here today that say, hey, listen, I'll stand before God and I'll say, listen, I gave to the food bank and, and I served and I sacrificed and I did all these things. And he's going to say, I never knew you. Because the truth is you don't know him. You haven't seen him for who he is. The sacrifice for your sin the free gift of salvation that comes through faith. 
If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, my friend, today is the day. Today is the day for you to turn from your sin, put your faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone, and receive the gift that God gives of eternal life. For those of us that are believers, we must preach the gospel. We must preach the gospel to everyone. Because the Spirit of God will use His Word to draw people to Himself. I have friends on both sides of these issues. I have friends that agree with me, friends that disagree with me. You know, the sad truth is, is I have friends that hold to both sides of the view, and they're so wrapped up in fighting one another, they never preach the gospel. They're so consumed with being on their Facebook blog and their blogs and, and, and debating and arguing. They're so consumed with getting their point across to somebody that disagrees with them. And they never share the gospel. If you ask them, when's the last time you led somebody to Christ or shared the gospel? Yeah, but listen, but listen, I'm focused on this and I got to get this right and this settled. And listen, there's some things in life that we're never going to get settled. But the truth is the world is dying and going to hell and they need Jesus Christ and they need the church to stand up and preach the gospel. Because it is the gospel that is going to save people. Hey, listen, whether you believe people are elect well before the foundation of the world or you, believe, you don't believe in that, listen, either way, they need somebody to preach the gospel to them. They need to hear the gospel and they need to have God draw them and they need to put, see Christ for who he is and they need to put their faith in Christ. We need to get over uh, uh, making ourselves look good and getting our point across and, and thinking that we're higher and better than everybody else because I do believe that there are gonna be some folks that are way ahead of me in heaven. Not because they were right in the point of Calvinism and Arminianism, but because daily they were sharing the gospel. Daily they were praying for their pastor. Daily they were praying for their church to reach more people. Daily they were handing out tracts. Daily they were doing whatever they could to reach the world around them. They didn't know who would believe and who wouldn't believe, but they knew they were called to preach the gospel. God has provided salvation, and that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the truth of the Word of God. And my friend, as a church, we need to be preaching that message to every person possible and allow God to do the work in their hearts and lives. God will use our labor and our ministry, our preaching of what? His Word, not our opinions, not our thoughts. He'll, he'll use our preaching of his word to draw people to himself. 